Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. We made it today. I'm super excited to chat with one of the great uh, talkers, thinkers, speakers in the world of work, Brian Elliott. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here, Evan. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I uh, hope all's well in San Francisco. Um, we're going to dive right in because, you know, How the Future Works is your latest book, and uh, it really is fascinating and timely to discuss so much news about hybrid work and remote work and yeah. a look into the future. Before that, maybe introduce yourself and your body of work. Sure. So I'm Brian Elliott. Um, uh, I have been a tech executive for the past 25 years, a consultant before that, briefly an academic. Uh, and then uh, from a tech perspective, you know, startups, CEO of startups, Google, Slack, um, and then for, founded a group called Future Forum back in 2020, which was a think tank backed by Slack, plus some fantastic partners, uh, Boston Consulting Group, Miller Knoll, group called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And we did tons of work for three years on research into what's working and what's not for people and for organizations and dialogue with a lot of executives, literally thousands of executives and hundreds of companies. Mm. They're all grappling with like, how do we take what we learned out of the pandemic and build better organizations uh, coming out of this? Um, and I've continued that work to this day as an advisor for both startups that are building new tools for the same space and for executives that are still grappling with all these really complex gnarly issues. Gnarly is a great word to describe it. So let, let's dive into how the future works. Um, tell us what are some of the main messages and well, what made you want to write the book sure. uh, to well, start with? So maybe actually even the starting point for some of this is, you know, take yourself back to early 2020. Um, I, I took the opportunity to do something that I'd wanted to do for a while, which is marry together sort of my own love for research and the fact that as an executive, I learned often the hard way. That old phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast, is very, very true, right? Whether it was my you know, startup days and going through hard times or the teams that I, that I led and ran at Google and Slack, your ability to get people you know, deeply engaged in the work, to understand one another and to be filled with purpose really is what drove whether or not we were successful, not whether or not we had the right plan or not. That was like an easy sort of step one side of it. So from a, from a research perspective, we looked at 2020 as this really rough, challenging time, but also as a huge opportunity to learn. And so what we did was a lot of research to understand what was working and what wasn't. And that led to the book in a lot of different ways, because the research upends a lot of conventional wisdom about nine to five, five days a week in the office being the place where and when and how work happens. But it also taught us a lot about like human behavior and what gets people motivated and excited and generating good stuff when it comes to you know, the outcomes of your organization. So How the Future Works, which we put out uh, last year, is a great how-to guide. It helps organizations because it combines that research with really practical, very tactical sort of guidebook style learning from not just Slack that, that we were working with deeply at the time, and companies in the tech space like Dropbox and IBM, but other companies in other industries, Levi's, Genentech, Royal Bank of Canada. There's just so many companies that are rethinking how work gets done, not just where, not just when. And the book itself is a guidebook around all of this. That's fantastic. And uh, I love the practical aspect of what you do. 
you know, no offense to the Harvard Business Review, your alma mater, Harvard Business, but, you know, when you read an article, it's a little academic, yeah. you know, so I, I think your experience and insights are super valuable. So things are changing too fast. You can almost get whiplash if you're, if you're not careful reading the news every day about workplace policy. So what's your take? You know, where are we now? How have we transitioned from the pandemic? And what is what does work look like in in, you know, corporate uh, tech Land. Yeah, we're, 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 um, we're about a month away now from what I'm terming the fourth annual post-Labor Day return to office battle. <laughs> um, here we go again, right? Uh, year one, year two, year three, um, and then some. And, you know, what's happened every time is, you know, a set of executives have said, hey, look, we really just need to get back to what worked and what worked in the past. Um, the challenge with that is that's what worked in the past for them uh, more often than it did for their teams, Right. And it's usually set by, sorry, people who look like me, more senior, seasoned, white male executives who probably are not the primary caregiver in their house. And that's what's causing some of the friction in all of this. There are better ways to do this that involve engaging your team directly in the conversation. And you're seeing companies sort of experiment with a lot of different things. All the attention-grabbing headlines about, you know, Zoom declares two days a week back in the office. Um, You also have the reality, which is, the vast majority of team of firms are actually moving away from full-time in office and towards mm-hmm. some form of hybrid workplace, if not, you know, even more sort of employee choice-based uh, type of organizations. But getting there is hard because getting there involves, you know, really engaging your team in it in a conversation that can sometimes be challenging for people. So I think what we've been trying to do is help people have those conversations, root them in research but also find ways to experiment and iterate and find out what works for your organization in particular. Last thing I'd add on that, Evan, is, you know, for all the talk about how many days a week somebody needs to be in the office, that's actually a lot less important than a much bigger part of flexibility, which is how people spend their time. So in our research, one of the things that came out really clearly is that schedule flexibility is even more important than location flexibility. The ability to put some constraint on nine to five or worse yet, eight Mm. till six being available for meetings or, you know, quick chats and conversations, that kind of, you know, 30 minute video meeting that's popped up on everyone's calendars to an annoying extent means you don't have two hour blocks of time to actually do your work. It means Mm. all the work you have to do for your own individual job tends to happen later at night, you know, maybe after the kids are in bed. And you're probably not at your best and you're probably a little bit burnt out by that point. I wish more of the conversation was tending towards things like how do we get control over the meetings monster? Because that's what we talk about in the book as well is how do you think about how you leverage schedule flexibility as an advantage, not just for people, but for organizations too. Yeah. Burnout and and mental health challenges are, you know, epidemic proportions and this new environment can be very tough for many people. And as such, you know, I mean, you talk a lot about empathy and understanding in your work, which I, I love. Sounds great, you know, gives you warm and fuzzy feelings. But you know, how do you how do you balance that with the realities of the tech downsizing and all the layoffs we've seen, and uh, yeah. you know, the uh, system in which we live and work? So maybe tell us why these are important, despite all the macro challenges or maybe any stories that might stand out as examples? Yeah, no, at at a high level, um, people's trust in you as an employer is really critical to whether or not you're going to be successful and whether or not they're engaged with you. 
So lack of trust is one of the key drivers, not just of people's happiness at work or whether or not they stay. There's recent research, by the way, on this that came out from the team at Slack, as well as from um, Institute for Corporate Productivity, IC4P, that basically says one of the most important factors in whether or not teams and individuals are productive is whether or not they feel like they are trusted by their management team, by their, by their leadership. And, you know, that's really hard to get to gain when you're in the middle of layoffs and other things. I've been in tech for 25 years, though, Evan. I've seen layoffs. I've run layoffs. I've done it myself before in times that were really challenging back in 2000 and 2001 mm. with the dot-com implosion, right? Again, in 2008 and 2009, when things went very sideways on us. I think a big part of the challenge that we had in 2022, 2023 is how those layoffs were handled. I really do think the sort of more, to be blunt, inhuman treatment of people at times, the email that announced that you were being laid off, the inability to say goodbye to your coworkers, didn't just impact the people who left. The bigger deal, if you're leading an organization, is it impacted the people who stayed. Um, The trust levels within those organizations fell. And there's a really key aspect to this, um, which is it's not just about do they feel like they trust you. It's how much time and effort are they going to put into your organization? So we saw this in our own research at Future Forum, and it's a great piece that came out of the recent Slack research. If you look at the data and you ask people, are you willing to go the extra mile? People who don't feel like they're trusted by their organization are not. That shouldn't surprise any of us. People who feel like they are trusted really do. So if you're after you know, people to being engaged in your customers and making your customers happy, you kind of need to have happy employees as well. There are ways of managing downturns and doing it in ways that actually are at least somewhat more transparent and somewhat more kind that I think could have gotten us into a much better spot today. Yeah, great, great points. Uh, DEI, diversity, inclusion, equity are big topics these days. And um, yet we're seeing this sort of backlash uh, against DEI initiatives. Uh, Everything is turned political now, so uh, it's par for the course, I guess. But what do you, what do you talk? What what what's the current thinking on DEI and and how did you make sure those values were part of your your work? Yeah, if you think about like what actually drives growth in businesses, there's plenty of research from Boston Consulting Group, my old partner, mm-hmm. um, and others that shows that firms that are more diverse in their management teams, in particular, are faster growing, higher profitability than those that aren't. And that's because you're getting people together that have different points of view. If you think mm-hmm. about like what where we stand from a global perspective, the world itself is getting more diverse. Competition is more global in nature. The demographics, not just in the U.S., but in pretty much the entire Western you know, set of economies are all becoming more diverse. And if what you've got is a very unipolar looking group of people that are leaders in an organization, they sort of know themselves really well, but they're going to miss out on a lot of kind of growth opportunities. Getting there isn't just hiring the right people. It's the leaky pipeline problem. It's how do you actually bring people up through the organization? How do you help them grow and how do you help them thrive? And a big part of that actually is this future of work set of topics around flexibility. We see this in the data really clearly. Your future of work plans and your diversity goals are linked inextricably. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Back in 2020, when we first went into sort of lockdown mode, everybody had to work from home. That summer, when we first started doing our quarterly survey of 10,000 office workers around the globe, what we saw in the U.S. was sense of belonging with my team fell on average. But then when we broke it apart, 
who it actually fell for was white workers, white office workers. Mm. For black and Hispanic, Latinx and Asian American office workers, it actually rose. We brought in a set of experts and Brian Lowry, a Stanford professor, was the first one to say this to us. As a black professor on Stanford's campus, he felt it personally, right? If he could, you know, if he's five days a week on campus, nine to five, he's always on. He's always got to be, uh, he's always got to be watching how he shows up, what he says, how he says it. And it's much more challenging than if he's able to go in and out of that environment to recharge his batteries. So we saw that even play out three years later, sense of belonging among those groups that are historically disadvantaged actually rose. The, the white office workers sat, sat, recovered and came back to the point where the, those groups all came to a pretty similar space, which is pretty amazing. The other side that we see yeah. that's really clear is gender and caregivers. 59% of working moms want to work from the office two days a week or less. And you can see that in the data, unfortunately, like last year's census data shows that in 2022, men's share of working from home dropped by about 20%. Women's share of working from home dropped by 0.5%. So if you think about who's showing back up in the office, and if your executive team is focused on proximity, on who's showing up, who's putting in the hour, who's in front of me, and they're rewarding those people, we're going to go back to rewarding people who look like me. So if you're thinking about, you know, how you actually want to build a more inclusive, more diverse workforce, because it's good for your business, you really have to think about how you're promoting people, what opportunities you're giving folks on the basis of the outcomes they drive, not on who's showing up. Brilliant insight there. So let's talk about technology and its role. I mean, we're both technologists. You've worked with some very cool tech companies. Um, And, you know, I think many of us thought remote work was just about a better camera and better audio and, uh, and microphones and uh, cool applications for collaboration, which, you know, there are many, including Slack. Um, But, but what is the role of, of tech advancement in shaping the future of work? How much, how much is tech a part of that versus culture and other, other things that, that drive, you know, human behavior? Yeah. There are big parts of this that are their culture, human behavior, you know, the changing demographics of, of work. Technology, though, is huge, right? If you think about it, in 2020, the huge advantages we had that we didn't have a decade before that is broadband access at home and consumer-grade enterprise applications, right? If you had if you had the pandemic happen in 2020 and you didn't have those two things, we would have had a lot worse economic outcome for all of the knowledge mm-hmm. work-based companies than we did. That's a lot of the reason why at the end of the day, we argue that, you know, you need to be digital first. Digital first doesn't mean never in person, but you really need to think about how the digital tools you use stitch together your organization broadly across all of the distributed points that, that it exists in, right? Cities, towns, places where people are. And if you didn't have that approach in 2020, you know, if instead what you'd lost was technology, but kept the offices, I think you would have had a much harder time uh, making work happen. At the same time, though, there's this William Gibson phrase that I love, which is um, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Hmm. Right. There are lots of organizations that are adopting new tools and new technology. And there are others that are that are sort of sitting in the we'll wait and see. And there's other people that are lagging far behind. We measure the differences between those groups in our in our quarterly pulse uh, for three years. And what we saw was the difference between the, the haves and the have nots back in 2020, it was pretty small when it came to things like sense of belonging, when it came to productivity, when it came to 
you know, my satisfaction at work. But every every quarter it grew and it grew and it grew. And the delta by the time we hit, you know, 2023 between the people who were investing in new tools and technologies and teaching people how to use them and using them effectively was pretty massive in terms of all of those factors. So Mm. it's not just giving people the tools. You got to teach them how to use them. You got to come up with case studies and examples, not just for the company, but even specific to different groups. We saw this even in what we did at Slack ourselves. We had a program we called um, uh, Maker Weeks. So Maker Weeks was uh, one week of the quarter when you canceled all of your recurring meetings. And doing that kind of gives people a break because we all know that recurring meetings can just be the the usual thing of like status updates and and here's what's up. Mm. Um, But it also forced people to start thinking about what are asynchronous ways where we can do some of those tasks at least, right? But what we had to do as we built this out is it worked really well and got piloted in the product design and engineering organization who figured out how to do stand-ups asynchronously. And they all kind of got it. They know how to do a stand-up asynchronously. But getting a sales team to do it meant you had to teach them how to do things like pipeline reviews, right? How does a pipeline review work on an asynchronous basis? What are the tools you want to use to do it? Who, When's the information going to be piped in? What's the process look like? So it's that kind of tools and training that really matter. The reason why this is important is it's not just about the tools that we have today. If you think about the impact of AI and the usage of, of generative AI tools, I hate to say it, if your organization can't figure out Slack and Teams, <laughs> boy, you, you've got some you've got some investment to do here uh, to catch up with all of this stuff. So that investment in not just getting the tools, but training people how to use them in specific work, that's going to make a huge difference in the outcome for organizations a decade from now. Great point. Well, speaking of AI, you did a ton of research, original research for your book. Any insights that might shed some light on the future of AI in the workforce? And there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, doubt, questions around it. There is. Uh, so what? What? Uh, how do you address this? So I, I think you know, if you think about it, a lot of this is in terms of the fear side of it, what the book talks about pretty extensively is how do you actually engage people in the process itself? How do you build trust? Um, Siddal Neely at Harvard Business School has done some great work on this in the past year or two around like, how does the how does generative AI and hybrid work look pretty darn similar in a, in a really key factor, which is what's the role in managers as being leaders and helping teams come together and figure out like, what are our biggest opportunities? What are the objectives that we've got? And getting people together to listen to each other, to see like, where can I use these tools to automate the routine, the rote, the boring type of work? And then what's that free you up to do that is more creative, that is more interdisciplinary, that requires more thought process? That's what most employees want. And what they fear is being replaced, right? What the organization also wants is for them to be more productive and more effective. What they fear is you toss all their information into you know, a public data source where all of a sudden it's available. So you've got to start having those conversations now and you've got to get, just like you do in hybrid work, you got to get specific with a team where you're listening to them and saying, what is it that's going to make you more effective? And how do we experiment with this set of tools and how do we iterate? Because it's not going to change overnight. It's going to change because we engage people in the conversation, because we experiment, because we iterate and because we take what's working and the teams who are doing great work and we turn them into champions. Love it. Champions. That would be uh, a nice goal to set. Any success stories or anecdotes from the book or your work and speaking 
advising, consulting you're super proud of that uh, kind of turned things around for someone? You must have a lot of uh, yeah, there's, of stories. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of that. Most of them we can't tell because we work, do work confidentially for companies and organizations. But it, I always love it when we always love it. The whole team did, did a fantastic amount of work around all of this stuff. Sheila, Helen, and my, my, my co-authors and I sort of love mm. when we see the book or something else showing up inside of a company's own internal content mm. and materials. We saw that early on with Levi's. Like our research was actually in part of their initial, you know, future of work oh, wow. that they did. We did a lot of work with uh, MasterCard. Uh, their chief people officer and I were on stage at an event in Florida early this year talking about their own move from like top-down mandates to team-level agreements to the 220 senior leaders in their organization that built team-level agreements that worked for their part of the organization because one size doesn't fit all. Maybe the most fun was like last month, I was doing, a, um, I was doing an event uh, for a uh, South Korean tribal, uh, large conglomerate in, in Korea, and they pulled out uh, the book in <laughs> Korean wow, uh, because they've been cool. passing it around in order to read it. And so at the end of the day, man, if we can help people find better ways to work for people and for organizations, if they can pick up the book and do something with it in terms of improving their own team's happiness and outcomes, that's a huge win. I love that. That's very gratifying. So looking ahead, what, what's next for you? Any personal, professional travel, any upcoming projects or events? Um, lots, of, lots, of, lots of personal events and, and travel coming up. I'm doing two things, basically. I'm doing uh, startup advising. So I've got a group of mm. startups that are sort of at that intersection of technology and future of work uh, that are also led by very passionate leaders who are out to sort of change the world. Um, charter focused on people teams, uh, collective focused on workplace people, uh, Scoop, which does fantastic tools for hybrid teams, and Radius, mm. which is a flexible workspace um, uh, startup. All great organizations, all focused in different areas, but all with this sort of common mission of how do we make work better. And then on the other side, I work with larger organizations that are grappling with this whole future of work topic. And how do we find balance between top-down mandates that don't work and individual free-for-alls, which bluntly also don't work? How do we not only leverage technology, but really good practices that drive engagement, that get people engaged in the mission of our company? So it's been a blast. Well, it sounds that your enthusiasm is infectious. And folks, that reach out to Brian uh, on Twitter. You still tweet like myself. For, for nah, not much. And LinkedIn. And, and, and LinkedIn. You've got a great yeah. LinkedIn page uh, with some pretty fantastic content. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining and sharing your work and your vision. Much appreciated. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everybody. Reach out with any questions. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks.